This week is Parshas Vayishlach. Vayishlach means, and he sent. And the Parsha begins with Jacob about to meet again his brother Esau, who 30 years prior had pledged to murder him. And the Parsha begins with Jacob's planning for this fateful reunion. So he begins by sending, by praying, and then by sending a tribute, a big gift to his brother. And as the encounter nears, there's an interesting, very interesting episode where Jacob is stranded and he has a fight. He has to wrestle with a man for the whole night. And finally in the morning, and it's a stalemate, and this man, who we find out is an angel, he strikes Jacob's hip and he dislocates it. And the man tells him, let me go. And he sa- Jacob says, give me a blessing. And he renames him to Israel. And the story ends. Now Rashi tells us that this man was not a man at all. It was an angel, Esau's angel. And this is not just a, not to be understood as just a scuffle between Jacob and some random person. Rather, this is a cosmic struggle between Jacob and the forces of Jacob and the, the forces that are eventually going to coalesce and become the Jewish people, and the forces of Esau, which is like the antithesis to, to Jacob. So that's the story. Now, Rashi addresses the question, why was Jacob stranded? Jacob, after all, was traveling with 12 children, 11 sons and a daughter. And we're, we're also told that he had many servants and slaves with him and maidservants and flock. Why is Jacob alone? So Rashi tells us that he was alone because he forgot small jugs, small pitchers, small cans, and he went back and crossed the river to retrieve them. So Jacob had already the whole procession, the whole group, the whole caravan had crossed over this river and they had moved almost everything, all their possessions across the river, but they forgot a few jugs, a few small cans, and Jacob went alone to go retrieve them. And when he was alone, he was vulnerable. And when he was vulnerable, he was attacked by the angel of Esau. That's what Rashi tells us. Now, Rashi gets this from the Talmud, very strange-sounding Talmud in the book of Chulun. And the Talmud, again, says what Rashi says. Omer Belazer, Rabbi Lazar says, Nishtayr al-pachim k'tanim. He went back because of small judges. And then the Talmud gives us a lesson. from. What's the lesson from this? Mikan. From the fact that Jacob went back to retrieve these small jugs, from here we learn that tzaddikim, they value their money, they value their possessions, more than their bodies. Why? Why do they value their money so much, even more than their bodies? Tzaddikim love their money, their possessions more than their bodies, because they do not extend their hand into theft. They don't steal. And because they don't steal, they love their money more than their bodies. And therefore, Jacob was willing to endanger his body in the middle of the night to go back across the river and to be vulnerable to attack because those judges, even though Jacob was inordinately wealthy, but those judges he cared about more than his body. That's what the Talmud did, which is a very striking thing. And of course, there's a lot of questions that we have to understand here. Um, first of all, what does this mean that Tzadikim love their money so much? 
how could we even say that they love it more than their bodies, more than their life? They're willing to endanger their life because of a few judges, especially Jacob, who was so wealthy. It seems very strange. And lastly, this idea that they love their money so much, it's all because they don't steal. It doesn't seem to connect. What's the connection between the fact that they don't steal and the fact that they love their money? Now, it's interesting, this is not the only place in the Talmud where this teaching is taught. In the book of Sota, on page 12a, it's talking about Moshe as an infant. Infant, We know there was a decree that Pharaoh had made that all Jewish and eventually all Egyptian boys are thrown into the river, into the Nile. And Moshe's mother, Yocheved, the granddaughter of Jacob, she did not want her son to be killed, but she knew she couldn't keep him at home. So she made a little makeshift box, a little ark, and she put the baby Moshe, the infant Moshe, into the box and put him into the river. And his sister Miriam was tasked with the responsibility of watching the box. Now, the Torah in chapter 2 of Shmos of Exodus tells us the material that she used to construct this little boat. What did she make it out of? Did she make it out of really expensive mahogany wood? No. So the verse tells us in chapter 2, verse 3, she could not hide him any longer. So she took him in a wicker basket and smeared it with clay and pitch. She placed the boy in it and placed him amongst the reeds on the bank of the river. So the Torah usually doesn't give us any extraneous details. It doesn't tell us the material of items that are insignificant. It's inconsequential, of course, or it should be, uh, to us. What material did Yocheved, did Moshe's mother use to construct the box? Why does that, how does that add to the story? Says the Talmud, the reason why it's telling us that that she made it out of clay and out of pitch and out of wicker is because it's teaching us a lesson that Sadiqim, again, they love their money. They, they, they prefer their money more than their bodies. And therefore, she used very cheap material, even though it was enough to keep the boat afloat, but it was not a very luxurious and very sturdy boat. And therefore, that was sufficient because the money was more important to her than the body, not only the body, her body, but the body of her infant son. Why? Again, concludes the Talmud, the fish aim potion of the because they don't stick their hands into theft. So it's a very strange idea. It's repeated twice in the Talmud that Sadiqim love their money more than their body because they don't steal. What does this mean? Now, as a, a side note, parenthetically, my grandfather of blessed memory, Rabbi Shlomo Walby, he would always when he would talk about this particular statement in the Talmud, he would say, if you see someone who spends money frivolously, doesn't care about that money at all, then you know for sure that the money is not clean of any trace of theft. Because the Talmud says very clearly, tzaddikim love their money because they don't steal. Which implies that the reason why they, don't love, they love their money is, is only because they don't steal. So if someone doesn't steal to get their money, they love it. If someone doesn't love their money, doesn't guard their money, isn't uh, isn't thrifty, 
in maintaining that money, then it's we know for sure that there's some degree, some element of theft in it. It's a very frightening statement that my grandfather says. But again, this idea broadly, what does it mean that Sadiqim love their money? You know, in our world, we're used to saying that money's material, money's about this world. It it's a distraction that makes you lose focus from the spiritual goals in life. What is this obsession or this love that they have with money, Sadiqim? Moreover, the extent that we're saying Sadiqim love their money more than their body. How could we say that they love the money so much? And thirdly, what is the connection between the end of the statement, that the reason why they love their money is only because they don't steal? How does that at all prove? How does the fact that they don't steal, how does that prove that they love their money? So I want to offer two answers. The first answer I saw on the commentary of the Ben Ishchai in the Ben Yehoyada. He was a great Sephardic giant of Torah, who lived at the uh, 19th century and the very early beginning of the 20th century. He was the rabbi of Baghdad. And he wrote voluminously all of Torah and all of Talmud and all of Halacha, everything. And he says a very fascinating answer. He says that a tzaddik is someone that's very fastidious about money. And they're, especially someone else's money. They're very careful not to steal even a little bit they won't go to someone else's house and take a toothpick that's not theirs, unless they were given permission. Why? Because otherwise that's that's theft. In our minds, we think, what's theft? Theft is when you go and you stick your hand in someone's pocket and you wantonly take someone else's money away from them. The way that Sadiqam view theft is any benefit that I have of, of someone else's things without permission. So whether that's a paperclip or that's $100 million, it doesn't matter. And therefore, that's what Sadiqim have a it's, it's a, it's about their carefulness in theft that causes them to love money. Why? They want to teach their children how important it is not to steal from someone else. And again, not stealing doesn't mean not to steal by going into their house and breaking in and burglarizing someone. It means not to benefit at all from someone else's things. And therefore, they felt a need to heighten the awareness of the value of little things. And Jacob, yes, of course, he was very wealthy. And maybe if it was only about his material possessions, he wouldn't care about small judges. But what message did they send to his children? Ah, we left small judge on the other side of the river. Forget about them. It's not so important. That's a very dangerous message to give over. Why? Because the kids say, ah, small judge is no big deal. And then what's going to be? God forbid, they're going to steal some small judge. They'll go to the neighbor and they'll, they'll see a judge and they'll be thirsty and they'll start using it without permission. That is theft. And therefore, Jacob, it was so important to implant this powerful lesson in the hearts of his children, that we don't take anything for granted in order to prevent them stealing from someone else. Therefore, he was willing even to endanger himself in order to show his children how much he values even the little things. And then, in the future, 
they too will be very careful not to steal even something very minor, even the proverbial toothpick from someone else. That's his answer. Now, it's a great answer. It's a very powerful lesson. I don't know how it would explain the other Talmud in the book of Sota that talks about Moshe being put into a small box. There you don't have the lesson uh, of the children that are watching, but nonetheless, it's a very powerful idea. I want to suggest a second answer to this question or these set of questions. If we look a little bit later on in chapter 33, when Jacob and Esau, they finally meet. And it's a very dramatic meeting. Everyone was very tense and expecting the worst. In the end, things really worked out very well for everyone involved, especially Jacob. And there is a contrast that Rashi points out between the way Esau and Jacob, the way they characterize their wealth. In verse 9, Esau says to Jacob, I have plenty. I have everything that I need. You don't need to give me a gift. And Jacob responds, no, I beg of you, if I have now found favor in your eyes, then accept my tribute for from me in as much as I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of a divine being, and you were appeased by me. Please accept my gift, which was brought to you, in as much as God has been gracious to me, and in as much as I have everything. He urged him, and he accepted. So they had this, this argument where Esau was refusing to accept the gift, and Jacob's insisting, and finally Esau accepts. Rashi points out that both of them describe a certain abundance that they have. Esau says, Yesh li rav, I have much, I have a lot, I have plenty. Whereas Jacob, he says, Yesh li kol, I have everything. Rashi points out, Yesh li kol, I have everything, kol si puti, everything that I need. The Esav diber beloshen gaiva, and Esav spoke in a, in a, in a, in a haughty manner, yesh li rav, I have a lot, even more than what I need. And I think this really marks the crucial difference between Jacob and Esau. Jacob says, I have everything. What does it mean when someone says, I have everything? That is a tacit acknowledgement that the Almighty is involved in our lives. When someone says, I have everything, what does that mean? It means I'm lacking nothing. And I'm accepting the fact that whatever I have, I got from God, and He has a certain mission, a certain task for me to fulfill. And of course, if it's if He gave me a task to fulfill, He obviously gave me the means to do it, the tools to complete the task. So obviously, I have everything. Now the question could be, how could Jacob know that he has everything? The answer is, no matter what Jacob ha- had, he would say, I have everything. <coughs> if you really believe in God and that God's involved in your life and God's managing your mission in life, then obviously you believe they have everything. And in fact, there's a prayer that we say every morning, one of the morning prayers, She'asa li kol tzarki. We thank God who made for me everything that I need. The same word, kol, yeshli kol. I have everything. All my needs I have from God. Well, what if someone doesn't have a lot? 
obviously, if someone doesn't have a lot, the Almighty is saying that your current need is to have a little and to have to deal with that challenge. And when someone has a, is very wealthy in relative terms, well, they still have a challenge from God. And everything that, that they need to face and to overcome their challenges is given to them. So when we say every morning, God made for me everything that I need, we're recognizing that everything that we have is from Hashem. And therefore, everything that we have is what we need for our task. We don't need more and we cannot do with less. We don't need more because if we needed more, God would give us more. And we don't need less because if we needed less, God wouldn't give us more than we need. So what happens here? Esau, Esau, he's rejecting the dominion of God. To him, he doesn't view the spirit, the material world, as being governed by this from the spiritual realm. Therefore, in his world, in Esau's world, it's possible to conceive that Yeshli Rav, I have even more than I need. Why? Because this is a different world. God's not micromanaging my material world. Maybe the spiritual world, sure, but not the material world. That's its own domain. For Jacob, that's not possible. He recognized that everything that he has is from Hashem, and therefore whatever he has is sufficient, and he needs no more, and whatever he has is needed and cannot do with any less. For Jacob, even the material possessions are spiritual tools for his life objective of service of God. For Esau, the material world is divorced from the spiritual world, and therefore, it's its own world with its own priorities. And his mission is to stockpile as much of it as possible. And it's possible for him to even say, Yeshli Rabbah have everything. Now, what, what's the difference between someone who recognizes that everything they have is from God and someone who doesn't? The answer is theft. Tzadikim, tzadikim they don't steal. Righteous people don't steal. Jacob never stole. And we saw that again last week's parsha, where Jacob lists to Laban all the times that he didn't steal. And the fact that Laban searched all his possessions and didn't find anything that he had taken. Why did Jacob not steal? Why did Tzadikim not steal? So we think perhaps that they're very righteous and they're very fearful of God and they have Yerushamayim and Yerushchait. They have fear of heaven and fear of sin and they don't transgress the sin of stealing. That's not the reason. The real reason why Jacob didn't steal is because he recognized that everything he needs is given to him by God. If so, there's no need and no desire to what uh, of what belongs to his fellow. The only way someone could steal is if they don't recognize that God's managing what they need. Jacob recognized that if God did not give to him something, something that, let's say, belongs to his neighbor, obviously he doesn't need it. Why would he even want to steal? The only reason why someone wants to steal is if they think that what they're going to steal is going to benefit them or something that they need or even that they want. Jacob was solely focused on doing what God wanted him to do and he recognized that God gave him everything that he needs to achieve that and therefore he didn't even want to steal. Esau, on the other hand, Esau, he made a career out of theft because he didn't recognize the fact that everything was from Hashem. And therefore, well, look, I want to stockpile. I want to have Yeshli Rab. I want to have everything. I want to have plenty. My neighbor has something really nice. 
Let me go hijack it. What does the Talmud say? Tzadikim chavivim aleim mamonim yosim regufam because they don't steal. Tzadikim value their possessions because they don't steal. When someone doesn't steal, it shows that they recognize that Hashem dispenses to each person, that the Almighty dispenses to every one of us, whatever it is that we need. It's foolish to steal. Why would someone steal when they have everything they need? You would only steal if you don't have, or you assume you don't have everything that you need. But on the flip side, if Hashem dispenses to you everything that you need, it's also imperative to maintain whatever it is that you do have. Because whatever you do have was given to you by God, and if it was given to you by God, obviously you need it. And therefore, I don't hear the fact that Jacob is wealthy. doesn't matter he's wealthy. Where did the wealth come from? It came from God. Where did those small judges on the other side of the river, where did they come from? It also came from God. And God said, you need that. What do you need it for? I saw some of the commentaries actually said that these judges were ones that they would use to drink from. And therefore, maybe that you would use it because the kids need to drink a lot when they're doing a big trip. And therefore, perhaps, it's a suggestion that he needed it because he needed to drink from it. But regardless, the fact that you have it and you didn't steal it, it's obvious that the reason why you have it is because God says you need it. And if you need it, how could you leave it on the other side of the river? Therefore, from the fact that Jacob, he didn't steal, that reveals that he recognized that Hashem is the one who gives everything uh, that a person needs, no more, no less. And therefore, the items, the inexpensive items that he left on the other side of the river must be retrieved. So that answers the first two questions. Why do tzaddikim love their money? They love it because it came from God. It's a tool that they need for, 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 for their mission. Why do they love it uh, uh, so much more than their body? That's uh, the one outstanding question because we know how it connects now to the idea of, of theft because theft only exists when someone does not recognize that everything that they have is from God. But why more than their body? So that's a, a hard question because the body, well, isn't the body also something that's given to you from God to accomplish your mission? So why would you love the money more than your body? So I want to suggest an answer. Maybe there's other answers as well. Perhaps we can suggest that money is, or possessions, are something that someone could use for more mitzvos than their body. How so? This is a suggestion. I'm speculating here. The Talmud tells us in the book of Sukkah on page 49b, Gedola chesed, that chesed is greater, chesed, kindness, is greater than charity, because charity is only done with money. Kindness, chesed, is done with money and with body, with mamono ubedufo. And therefore, if you had to weigh what's greater, kindness or charity, kindness is greater because kindness is done with both, with money and with the body, whereas charity is only done with the money. That's what the Talmud says. But I would ask, what if we ask a different question? Which is greater, money or body? The Talmud asks, which is greater, kindness or charity? I'm asking a flip question. What, which is greater, money or body? Perhaps the tzaddik would say that the money is better. Why? Because you could use your money both for kindness and for charity, whereas your body you can only use for charity. And therefore, a tzaddik who is just prioritizing in his hierarchy which one of those is more necessary for their mission, for doing mitzvos, 
perhaps they would come to the conclusion that money is better because money is money allows you to do more mitzvos than your body does. That's a suggestion. But regardless, the bottom line is clear that the attitude of the tzaddikim towards their money, it's not that that something it's something evil or something material. Even that is holy. They take this world, the material, the physical world, and they make it spiritual. Jacob valued everything he had. Everything he had was, was important, was necessary, was critical. It was given to him by God for their mission. And therefore, how can I leave it on the other side of the river?